Uh, welcome to the Geek Exploration uh, Creators Corner. I'm Ben Robinson. I'm John Williams, and today we've got Christopher Michael here to uh, to promote his comic book and his upcoming Kickstarter. Or wait, wait, is it currently running right now? It's currently oh, running. Oh, geez, his currently running Kickstarter for uh, Crit. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing well as well. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to assume and go ahead and just call you Chris like we've been buddies for a real long time. Do you do you prefer Chris or Christopher? I've got a buddy named named Chris that I knew as Chris, but to everyone else he meets, it's Christopher. Um, you know, if you want to call me Chris, it's not going to hurt my feelings. All right. Not at all. <laughs> Saves me two syllables worth of time. There you go. You've got your book, uh, Crit. You want to tell us a little bit about it and about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, so Crit is a comic book about superheroes, but the entire story is written through a D&D game that we created ourselves. I say ourselves because I had the idea, and then I showed it to the guys, and we kind of went back and forth. And if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, and especially if you've ever homebrewed something, it goes through a lot of revisions. And so this yeah. this game has evolved so much from the first session to now that um, it's almost indistinguishable from the first time you played. And we we take note of that because of an issue zero. You notice that the costumes look a little different, and some of the things they do is a little different, and it changes. And they make fun of that. The one thing that I do love about our book is we we are very self aware, and. Um, we will point out our shortcomings. We will point out lots of pop culture references that we probably shouldn't make, but we're going to make them anyway. <laughs> and we try to keep it as fun as possible, but still having a a serious story. Uh, we don't want to be Batman. We don't want to be the Avengers. We don't want to have these huge, overarching, complicated things. The whole entire premise was built on having fun. If you're into fun stories, that's what you're going to get. If you're into, like, story, so I, I'm lucky this just came out, but Peacemaker just hit. And when I watched <laughs> it, I said, man, I, I think James Gunn is hanging out in my house. And uh, I called my friends and I was like, I mean, there's lines in here that we've used. And I, I think that's awesome because it did so well, which means people like that kind of story. And that's really where we fit in is Guardians of the Galaxy, Deadpool, Peacemaker, you know, things that just don't take themselves that seriously. And so, um, yeah, and if you're, if you're a fan of Dungeons and Dragons and you like things that happen at random, that's us too, because I don't script any of it. A lot of people have asked me, how do you take Dungeons and Dragons and turn it into a comic book? I record the sessions on my iPad, and then when I go to draw, I just hit play. And I listen to it. And as I'm listening, I'm sketching. I turn what we do into a story. It is pretty simple, but it's also complicated at the same time because I've got to edit out all the really dumb shit that we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you, I, I imagine, you know, you've, you've got your story written there because it's all happened already. Like you said, I, I was curious about that, you know, whether you were like taking shorthand minutes as you went. Um, but no, that's that's much more convenient to just record yeah, the session. Recording sessions. is definitely the way to go. But you know, even even if you you've got the beginning and end point, you still have to find you know find out how to pace it correctly. You know, you, the, the, I imagine there is a, a good bit of editing and critical thinking you have to do uh, when turning that into a into a cohesive story. Yes, there's a lot of back and forth. So I say it's it's based because it is almost impossible to tell one one session in 20 to 30 pages 
and do enough justice to what we have. So I have to edit out. And again, if you play D and D, you've got the one player who throws fireball at everything, and it's boring, right? I'm not going to have the same move over and over again. If you've just punched the character and it took you five punches to get the character down, well, I'm going to solidify that down to maybe a one, two, three. They're out. That's where my editing comes in. Is more the the combat because combat in D and D, especially fifth edition, can get repetitive. I also try to like make some of it a little bit more interesting as far as viewing because most of the stuff in especially in Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons, you either have the two guys that go off and do their own dumb thing, and then it, you're you're kind of ad libbing most of that which really doesn't have a payoff. You're just doing it for the character in the moment. But most of the time, those little side stories really don't have a payoff. So I don't want to introduce something that has no payoff to the reader because I can have something for my player that has no payoff and know they'll come back. But if I have something for a reader where there's no payoff to this piece, and let's just say that they were actually interested in what they were doing over here and I don't flesh that out, I might lose a reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going into it, I didn't know it was based on a D&D session. So I, I think I read issue zero and one and then got to the explanation at the yep. end of issue one. And I was like, oh, OK, that's really cool. Like, did you start playing the game first and then say, hey, guys, I'm going to turn this into a comic? Or were the players in on it the whole time? Because I, I've DM'd a lot of games and I've played D&D for, for years. And uh, the narrative doesn't always go where you want it to. Um, if the players kind of have their way, they may just choose to bypass that entire thing that you were thinking about. Oh, that all the time like like, are they kind of in on the narrative so that they know they that you know hey let's try and not completely fuck this comic book up so early on no the the comic wasn't meant to even go to kickstarter it wasn't meant to be in anyone's hands it was simply a tool for me to keep my players involved and also something that i wanted to do as a hobby i had never drawn a comic book before you know, I grew up on comics. I love comics, but it was not something I ever anticipated doing. I just had some spare time. And I'm the kind of person where when I dive into something, it becomes much bigger. I wish my wall wasn't as blurry on this video for you guys. I have guitar racks behind me. I have guitars on my wall. I joined a band. I lied to them and told them I knew how to play guitar. And then three <laughs> years later, I was signed to a record label touring, playing Warp Tour. So, Everything I do winds up, I just wind up like snow, has a snowball effect, like every single time. You're like the George Lazenby of guitar. You just, you just <laughs> got right in there. You're like, I know what I'm doing. And it worked well, out. I kind of knew comics too, because I had never really drawn before. I, you know, sketched some stuff. I found some of the really, really old sketches. And I swear a four-year-old could probably vomit better than that drawing was done. And... It, when I first started again, it was just something for me to keep them interested. Yeah. And I'm a salesperson by trade. You can lose interest from your, your D&D players very quickly, especially with a once-a-month game, because we only play once a month. Oh, wow, yeah. I wanted to keep them invested. The, you know, the backstory of this, aside from being a comic book, the group had played D&D 10 years prior, and we had played for two years every Sunday, pizza and D&D. That's what we did. I don't want to say I had like a midlife crisis, even though it was my mid thirties that I started working on this, but I had just lost my job. And for the first time since I was 12, I was unemployed, which is depressing when you're married and you have a kid. And for the first time, I really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. It's scary. It is. It was, was, I, 
I just hit a depression point because there was nothing available to me that I really wanted to do. Luckily, we had some money in the bank and my wife said, hey, you know, I don't want you just to jump into another job. Find something that you enjoy and go for it. In the meantime, like take a break. You know, you've been working your whole life. (laughs) I literally had never had a break. I'd worked two to three jobs my whole life and it was scary. So I I fired up my PS4 and I started playing Spider-Man. I love telling this because the transition just doesn't make sense, but it happened. And as I'm playing Spider-Man, I see in my head how my Spider-Man is different from other people's Spider-Man because you can kind of customize them. You know, you can customize the suit, you can customize the powers. At the base of it, it's Spider-Man, but my Spider-Man might be different than yours. And I was like, well, hey, that's kind of like D&D. You can have so many different characters with the same base, and then it's a completely different character, though, because they might customize theirs differently. Mm-hmm. And it just got my my brain thinking, and I was like, man, I wish I had this 10 years ago because we wanted to play superhero D&D, and we never got a chance. So I just got my pen out, and I started like opening up books and start putting things together. It was like one night I was up till four in the morning, and I just had all these ideas. Next day, I'm at the gym. And I called Brad, who in our book is Caliber. And I said, hey, man, he's like my forever DM. You know, he had DM most of our games. And I said, hey, I'm going to DM. And I was like, I have this idea. We can homebrew it. It's, it's, it's going to be tough. But we can do superheroes like we wanted to. And he's like, dude, we haven't talked to these guys in 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, this isn't going to happen. He's like, but if it does, count me in. So I make the phone calls. That night, everyone was in. And we hadn't, some of us hadn't talked in 10 years, right? We get together a few weeks later and we start playing. It was so much fun. We talked about it for another month after that. In that month, I had kind of like sketched out some of the stuff that happened. Just like, remember, like I was bored, you know, I was sitting at home and I had this tablet that I could draw on. So I just started doing it. It just turned into a book and I spent three months. So this is where the comic book kind of starts in. I spent three months working on it, and I just decided, hey, I'm going to make one book out of it. That way, we can kind of see what the characters do, and maybe every once in a while, I'll do another page. I hand it to my wife. My wife is a phenomenal artist. She is a phenomenal photographer. She has this keen eye with just about anything. And I knew her 11 years before we even got married. We were best friends. So her opinion is highly valued to me. I hand her the tablet. We're laying in bed watching TV, and she pauses the TV, and she scrolls through all 18 pages. And she hands it back to me and says, it's okay. And she turns the TV back on. (laughs) Three months of my life went into that. (laughs) And I could have done two things. I could have given up and said, I guess this isn't for me. Or what I did was I grabbed my iPad because I upgraded my tablet. I spent $1,000 on a hobby that I didn't know was going to go anywhere. (laughs) I said, nope, I'm going to do this right. And so I started, and the next day I show her the page, and I say, hey, what do I need to fix so it's not just okay? And she started really teaching me about anatomy and positions and how things should look. You know, uh, I struggled with a lot of different things, but I knew I wanted to do it now because I had to prove her wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs) Also, are you okay? Pretty much. it it, It wasn't like a blow to my ego. It was just her and I always kind of flow together and i've never been on her artistic level i've never been on her photography level and for once i had a chance to kind of do something that she was interested in you know she plays guitar i play guitar you know we can we we, we're on the same wavelength on a lot of things so i just wanted to challenge myself and so i just pumped the book out 
And then I realized I was like, well, I watched all these videos with Todd McFarlane and all these artists. And they were like, you know, you need to figure out what you're good at and just be good at it. And I said, well, I really don't do well with coloring. I just don't. And I'll, I'm not afraid to admit it. It's a tough thing to do. Like there's color theory and then there's yeah. all, the, all these other things. And I, at this point I had realized what Kickstarter was. And I said, if I'm going to ask people for money, I want to give them a quality product. And if I'm spread thin, trying to color, trying to do line work, you're going to get 50% of everything from me instead of a hundred. And I said, I'm going to put everything I have into my line work and I'm going to pay a colorist. And so that's when we went to Kickstarter and really started that, that draw. It's just been a snowball effect ever since. Yeah. We did essentially the, the same thing. Like our first book, I tried to color, but I'm, I'm like partially colorblind. So every time I'd show it to John, he'd be like, no, that's crap. Well, and, and I mean, <laughs> it's, it's tough because people, people think of coloring comic books as an easy thing. Like, okay, I, you know, when I had crayons, I could color when I, I had colored pencils, I had markers, we've got digital, uh, programs like Photoshop and clip studio paint where you can, you can color very easily. So I can fill in the blanks, but like you said, like it is, it's insane. Like how, how much skill it takes to make it look good. Like, I, I mean, you're totally preaching to the choir here. Like we, we wrote our comic book together. I drew the whole thing, but like, I, I know that even though I'm, I'm, I'm okay coloring a pinup, like I know I can't color to professional standards. And like you said, if we're, if we're asking for people's money, like it needs to be a, a quality product as much as I might still like it because I did it. Like I, I would know that it's not up to, up to standard. Like we, we had to go out and, and find a colorist. It's true. Mm-hmm. And if you find an artist, you got to pay that artist. Like you don't, you yep. know, I, we, I'm strongly I, believing <laughs> not like asking people for free work. So yeah, yeah. You got to make that money. I'm a big so advocate of that. And I haven't made a dime on any of our books. I put it all back. Into the artists. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah, We know that story. <laughs> yeah, and I'm one of the artists. That's funny is, you know, um, it, people have asked me, Oh, like, do you, do you take a profit? No, I feel bad asking for $1,500 for this Kickstarter we have going right now. But it's a 50-page book. I've got Damn. four amazing, well, five now amazing covers because I have the trade paperbacks cover I had to pay for. And, I mean, I don't, I don't ask for free work. And I don't ask people to take it on the back end just in case we fund or don't fund. I pay all this stuff up front, and then I recoup it because I don't, I don't want to ask an artist, hey, can you have faith in my series? When some of these guys that do the work, that's their... That's their bread and butter for yep. you know. That's what yeah. feeds your family. So every every dollar that we make on the book, I make sure it goes right back into it. The only thing that I'm I worked to deal with the artist was on our new stretch goal, our last one. If we hit four grand on the campaign, which we're like right at four hundred and like fifty bucks off. If we hit four grand, we'll do four pages from another campaign that we did called Mister Wizard and Friends. It's uh, it's a short campaign. It was like six to eight sessions, but it's hilarious. And we wanted to bring this to life. We didn't know how. And I said, hey, this is a TV series slash comic book that exists within Crit's universe. So we can make reference to it within Crit. Yeah. And we'll put four pages at the end of every book. And I said, so I talked to Robert um, and he does some of our covers. And I said, hey. You know, how much would it cost first? What's your page rate? Because he's a phenomenal artist and I just don't have it in me to, to add four more pages when I've already added another 10. And I said, hey, you want to do this book? You'll have a lot of fun with it. I send him like the character designs and he's like, oh, this is awesome. And he's like, so he gives me a page rate. And I said, well, 
can we work it to where maybe I could pay you after I collect on the Kickstarter? Because by the time you're knowing the pages, the Kickstarter's done, I would have collected. And he agreed. He's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, that's cool. I can do that. And I've, I always pay him up front or even before he even starts the work, he's got payment. So he knows I'm good for it. Well, yeah, there, there's there's value to having a, a working relationship that somebody can trust. You know, like like if, yeah. if you just met this guy, and you're like, hey, then he, he might not have as easy of a time with that. But yeah, like if, if you guys have worked together, then he's got no reason to to not trust it, at least. Yeah, I'm the guy that's like, hey, how much is this going to cost me? OK, cool. I'm, I just went ahead and paid you. Just tell me when it's done. I got to move on to something else. But that way, the money's not sitting there and I accidentally use it for something else. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, he's great. He's he's a super busy dude, though. So, like, I always ask him, like, can we have it done in this time frame? If not, you know, don't worry about it. And he's like, yeah, I can I can fit this in. This seems fun. <laughs> and I actually just released everything on my Instagram and on the Kickstarter update today for the Mr. Wizard and Friends. You know, Mr. Wizard is a cowboy wizard. The, the world setting is unique. You know, Greek gods have, have infiltrated the world. They've inhabited the celebrities of the world because in this, in this universe, these uh, additional, you know, mytho- mythological gods were banished from our world when Christianity really took over. But now that we're worshiping more of each other than we are even our own gods— the, the power that Christianity has over the realm is gone. And so the Greek gods can't have a physical form here. So they take over celebrities because celebrities get all the, all, you know, they're worshiped and that's where their power comes from. So I have like Justin Bieber, who's Justine Bibet or something. Cause I can't use the real names. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> so he's, he's, she, he, she is taken over by Hades and he controls Australia, which is the gateway to hell. And the whole game ends, I think we just came to an end there by accident. Somehow it ends. I have it written down. It ends with a WWE brawl in a, in a um, <laughs> stadium-style battle over the, the portal to hell. And at the very end, you, know, you see Randy Savage come out of hell because he's been banished. Um, he comes out of hell and saves everybody, you know, super slams and does this. All It's just... It's a ride. It's cr- it's you know crazier than what we can do in crit, and that's why I thought it'd be fun to exist as like a pop culture reference. It's a lot of fun, but it just wouldn't work in any yeah. like normal comic book setting to be taken seriously. So I, I made it as crazy, zany, and unserious as possible. We'll do it in four page settings, like at the end of crit, and that way you get kind of like a two book in one deal. Um, I'm also not a big fan of as a creator asking people to get invested in multiple series of mine because I'm not Marvel. I can't deliver on a monthly or bi-monthly basis or, yeah. you know, like I can't, I can't keep up with that. And we're in an age where I don't even like to start a TV show until the season's over. Yeah. So you can binge it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, cause, cause God, like what happens for the next week? I'm going to get like, I'm, I'm going to go nuts. So I want to keep people invested in my series. So you're going to get a little like side story on each one. That way, you know, every book, um, and I'm consistently putting out three books a year. So nice. I think that's, a, that's a good time frame for people. So on that note, I mean, you're playing monthly, like, you know, making comics is not, you know, it's not a, a necessarily a fast process unless you have, I mean, it's a time consuming process, unless you have a lot of time to devote to it. So if you're playing monthly, like, is the game outpacing the comic? Oh God, yeah, we're almost done. I've almost got the entire 40 
story, 40 book story written. Yeah. Cause I've got a buddy who's got a, a, a like a D and D actual play podcast. They've been doing for seven years and, and halfway through, they started doing a comic book about it. And, uh, they're on like, like halfway through the, the first year still, because, uh, it's, you know, making a comic is such a more drawn out process than getting together with your buds and playing D and D. Yeah. We, I think we're like right at like 30, 30 sessions. I have to count. I had like two sessions I couldn't record. I was in the middle of moving and didn't have all my stuff set up. But um, we're like right at 30, 30 sessions. And we're coming to a, not a close, I'm coming to a chapter switch. We're going to get away from crit for a little while and do a side story with Vanguard, but it exists within the same time period. So we're just going to flip the characters. Kind of like when uh, X-Men lost their main lineup and they brought in the secondary lineup, you know, back in the day, similar to that. Really? This is about a 40 book run. Oh, wow. Unless I decide to stretch some stuff out. And the goal is to really end it after that. I mean, to be frank, it's D and D people might die. Um, yeah. that's actually, I know a couple people die. Oh, just spoilers. Happened. Oh, jeez. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's D&D. at least we don't people know who. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, less so in five E than in some of the previous ones. Like it's, it's, uh, it's almost hard to kill characters in fifth edition. It is. And that's one of my biggest problems. We reached a couple points in the campaign where I'm like, dude, I can, I can coup de grab this guy and kill him. And we're, and we're pulling out the rule book for this. Like they're like, Oh, well, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. And I'm like, well, you, you gotta do something with the next role or else I'm, I'm just going to have to kill him because I play my characters pretty close to yeah. the chest. And if I've written, especially like in a battle where they're fighting you to the death, they're not just going to stop because something happens. You're going to have to intervene or do something or next round. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna blow his head off it's just gonna be how it happens yeah you you can't you can't have your guy roll a, a, a 20 and then and then just like oh he still missed somehow right i mean and that's actually what happened in one game i kept rolling <laughs> crits on the dude and i was like man i'm sorry you know but th- there is there is a magical aspect to the game so uh you know we have a couple characters who don't roll that well and they've gone down quite a few times but because we have introduce some cool you know technological advances and magic you could possibly you know get saved a few times and um i don't want to give away too much on that because the name for one of the devices they use is just ridiculous and it opens (laughs) us up to a lot of jokes later on we have a, a character in the book obi reach he is um the creepy uncle and so he's he also is our tech guy so he names everything very like creepy bad uh, like <laughs> names that he, of course is an acronym for something and he's got a good reason to call it that but you're like really anus come on <laughs> <laughs> so you can just imagine the jokes that come up from having weird named items that you use for healing yourself but um the goal i have every session is to actually kill them i really challenge them to fight me fifth edition though much harder whereas with 3.5 they probably all would have been murdered four or five times by now yeah f- first edition you're lucky if you make it to second level god yeah <laughs> i don't think proponent for 3.5 in fact brad and i were talking last night how we're like really excited for sixth because 5e has so many gray areas in the rule sets where it's like eh, we're just you know just decide if that happens or not there's no real hard rule whereas with 3.5 
I loved the skill section. You know, you could really build your character. Yeah. Oh yeah. Properly. It was it was where, super crunchy. And, I mean, and I think one of the things they about five E that made it so popular is it's easy to get into. I remember when I first got into D anD D, it was three, it was Pathfinder and three five. And like when you open the book for the first time, you're trying to make a character, and you're like, okay, there's. 185 feats to choose from and i don't understand what any of them mean it can be a little intimidating and then you have to figure out how many how many skill points you have and that changes from character to character and then if you subclass all of a sudden you're getting you know there's so much micro and that's actually why we went with fifth edition most of us learned on 3.5 but it had been 10 years and so when i was making it i said well i'm gonna have to use fifth edition rules because it's so much easier so much more streamlined yeah. And for oh, yeah. some of these guys who hadn't played, it's just easier to pick up. It's a good beginner's game. Did you look into using anything like Mutants and Masterminds or, you know, any of the other like purpose-built superhero RPGs? Because with 5th edition, you got to do quite a bit of, you know, homebrewing and adaptation to bring that into a, like a modern superhero setting instead of... 600 hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of the, 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 the fantasy setting that it's, that it's made for, whereas something like Mutants and Masterminds is you know that's what it is it's a superhero tabletop rpg or that dc heroes game yeah. from the 80s yeah yes <laughs> about it. i really didn't think about it but i also didn't want to learn a new rule set yeah. and we've been playing D for so long to introduce a new game now we have to learn the new rules to be real brad has been playing D since he was like five and when we were talking about it he goes we can do this he's like it's going to be a pain but it'll it'll be fine. I can do this. He's like, I have homebrewed worse. And so when we sat down and really started homebrewing it, I think most of it boils down to, he's like a Wikipedia of knowledge. He has a not photographic memory, but pretty much if you ask him a question, he can perfectly recall what he's read. And so he's like Wikipedia, but totally reliable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll ask him like, (laughs) Hey, what is this? And there's only been a few times where he's been like, um, well, they change it from 3.5 to 5th, and he'll Google it real quick. Okay, yeah, I was right, it's this. And so it's easier because he can pull those rules up in his head. Yeah. I've been playing long enough to where I know most of the rules as well, whereas if we had to learn a whole new system, I didn't want I w- I to present anything to the team that may be like, I don't want to do that. That yeah. seems like too much work. That made, it, that made it harder for guys you hadn't talked to in 10 years to buy in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that that makes so sense. Six hundred hours into it, like you know, like I didn't have- <laughs> <laughs> you just wrote your own RPG. Well, yeah. Real, real quick, just for for the layperson like myself who who has really limited D and D knowledge. Some people that that are listening may not have any D and D knowledge at all. Um, I think it makes sense. I think we can we can surmise what homebrewing means. But homebrewing is that like taking the rule set that already exists. And creating your own your own setting and your own your own like um, equivalencies for everything in the game. You know, yeah, like- your own anything. Like if you if you create a magic item that isn't in the raw rules, you're homebrewing that, or you have a homebrew setting, or you can, you know, like I, I'm assuming, Chris, you had to do quite a bit of adaptation where you know you take something like fireball or any sort of spells and like modernize them, or you know, obviously no one's running around with halberds or you know flails in this. They tried. I said no. <laughs> I have one character who does have a sword and shield. It's a it's a magical sword and shield. That's his actual magic power. Is like his, his superpower is he can call upon an ethereal shield 
a sword, an axe, and a hammer. Those are the weapons he can like form. Is that is that the dude that was that is introduced in like the end of the la- the fourth issue? Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Bones. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, do you need to go through you know like like a five e uh, rule book or or I don't know source book and just basically create like your own version of everything that exists there? Or do you just create, you know, the the ones that you want to have in the game and then pass that on to your players and be like, these are the new rules, you know, when you're homebrewing something? Mainly, the homebrew came from the classes more than anything else because weapons were very simple. 3.5 already had them. And luckily, somebody, someone had already done the work to balance the weapons from 3.5 to 5th edition. So those translated very easily. Now, there's some things, yeah, I've homebrewed completely from start to finish. Weapons mm-hmm. and things like that. Because Wild. I wanted to introduce a weapon in our, our game that didn't exist. But again, there's so many people out there doing similar stuff that I could find something that mixed well and then just modify a little bit. And um, there's quite a few guys, I'm on a few forums, where they're like, I would t- toss in like, hey, has anybody had to balance something like this? And somebody fires something back at me. Well, I did this, and then I can go, okay, cool, I can change this around, I can move that. When you do it enough, it becomes like second nature to go, okay, I can put a D8 here instead of a D6, and then I can move the like you know the DC up to this. And I know I'm speaking a foreign language to most people. <laughs> you know, it's just like anything that you do in life. My wife's a photographer, and she'll start talking about F-stop to me and all mm-hmm. these different things, and I'm like, ah, you lost me, right? So, yes. Can I open up a book and and do that? Yes. Most of the classes, though, were what the homebrewing came from. Boulder, I'll use as a perfect example, because any play that's, anybody that's played D&D knows Monk and knows Barbarian. Mm-hmm. He said to me, I want to be Eddie Murphy that became All Might. That's what he <laughs> said he wanted to hear. <laughs> nice. And, and I said, oh, that's very simple, because that's a Monk-Barbarian build. We can play with that all day long. Now... Boulder is a very, very strict, like, play style for him. So everything is molded to how he would play. All physical abilities. There's no magical abilities. He has no outward magic. It's all energy-based. Like, if you watch All Might, he doesn't shoot fireballs. But he does have, like, like, rage would be similar to him, you know, going into his big form. So we use symbolism because... Boulder does like to be the good guy. So he's like the symbol, you know, mm-hmm. he likes to be this thing. And so we're like, all right, cool. We can do this. This is pretty simple. Um, Spectre was a lot harder because he wants to be a bard and then he wants to be a warlock and then he wants to be a necromancer. And I said no to necromancer because yes. Cause you always say no to necromancer. <laughs> like, <laughs> such a bad ability to give a good hero. And he's yeah. like, I just knew that bad things would happen. So I said no to necromancy. So what we gave him was a cat that he can call upon. And while he has a cat out, he gets certain abilities. And later on, he can unlock other familiars that modify his spell spells. So at his core, he's a warlock with fireball or uh, um, eldritch blast, right? Because that's easy. I got strong warlock vibes off of him for sure. Like I, I think even, at one point he even like verbally uses agonizing blast. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, um, like, like the D flavor it's there. Like it's there to pick up. It's kind of mentioned in passing here and there, but uh, you could read this book if you didn't know anything about D and D and you're not going to be lost. Like you're not, 
it's mm-hmm. it's seamless into the story. Whereas um, if you know what you're what you're looking for, you can like pick little gems out here and there. And that's not, that's by design. Originally, I thought about putting in some of the original artwork. The die rolls were on there because that's cool for someone who knows D anD. d But when my wife read it and a few other people, they were like, "Well, I don't know anything about that, and that's that's you know that might be jarring to someone who doesn't yeah. know or." You know, you don't want to alienate people, it's right? Distracting As from mo- the story. Yeah, yeah. Like if I if I was reading that, like I might appreciate, like once I knew what was going on, I might appreciate that it was there, but it might take me out a little bit every time. Just just mm-hmm. thinking like this is a thing that people are getting and I'm not getting it, and that that bugs me a little bit. Yeah, but but I also exactly. don't want to go do the research to get it. You know, because it's not my world. Right, and that's why I ultimately removed it and. I'll have a like caliber says a line in uh, book two and I didn't even roll initiative because yeah, the in game, I got that. I, I was still a, a new DM. I mean, realistic when we started this, I'd only DM maybe one other game uh, successfully. And so I was learning the ropes too. And we were in this big combat situation and Brad just says, I want to do this. And he hadn't even been in combat with anybody yet. And I was like, cool, yeah, yeah you, you know, roll, let's see how it goes. And then at the end, he's like, ha-ha, and I, I, I skipped initiative order because I didn't roll initiative. And so that's why <laughs> in that line, it's like, and I didn't even roll initiative. You know, like, <laughs> a and d player gets it. It's a, it's a subtle nod, but nobody that wouldn't get it is going to be jarred by not understanding what initiative is. And the again with the self-aware thing they call out their moves but if you watch you know dragon ball z any mm-hmm. anime right <laughs> yeah, so, or, or a power rangers or a, yeah. yeah right so so that's where i did that um is so that people can relate oh they learned a new power right or you see specter is probably the easiest one to show the level like growth with him because he has a knife and now all of a sudden he can teleport to the knife and now he can do this and oh he can fly now we introduce those things subtly and i'm glad that i have like brad and terrell there to balance me because readers would get and i learned how to fly and i learned how to do this (laughs) don't tell them just show them like you don't need to tell people it's insulting if you have to tell them everything but coming from the DM perspective, it's like, oh, they need to know that that's something that they can do now because I'm used to babysit. Yeah, you're like, I, I would tell them. What, what do you mean? Well, there's nothing weird about that. I'd tell them. Oh, yeah. Brad's like, no, just show them because people will understand if they see him fly for the first time. Oh, you know, it's like, and he always brings you back to comic books, even though he's not a comic book reader. He's like, do you remember the first time Superman flew? And I'm like, well, actually, no, I don't. He goes, no, but you know he flies, right? Yeah. Did somebody tell you that? No, it's in the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, like, no need to tell you that Superman learned how to fly. <laughs> like, yeah. he just did. And and if it was something important to to the character, I mean, you could always have some other character be like, "Whoa, I didn't know you could do that," or something, or or you know, that some there mm-hmm. there are more subtle ways to to introduce things than to just be like, "Hey, I can do this now. I'm going to do this thing. I can do at this moment." All of a sudden. Yeah, I'm the guy who I over-explain because I also have like I have a child, and in my professional life, I babysit a lot of adults that don't even know how to clock into their work sometimes. <laughs> and so I do tend to over explain everything. And I, so I'm, I'm blessed that, that they wanted to put time into my hobby with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's something that I, that I've heard 
is is like one of the most common things for new comics writers is to overwrite everything because you're just like I have everything in my head and I want you all to understand it and being able to restrain and distill is one of the one of the hardest things to do when you when you when you first start writing comic books. Yeah, slowly let lore and stuff bleed out instead of giant exposition dump yeah. that explains everything and and having to explain every little thing that happens because you know the background of this thing and it's really cool and you want everyone else to know yeah. it. Yeah. People are there for a story, not necessarily your your world. Yeah. That, well, I, what I like to do now, and this is something that I had to adapt to, was I do like collector cards and I have the Instagram. So I can info dump in other areas besides the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I, to, I told Brad the other day when we were talking about this, half the reason that I like to info dump or backstory dump is because I'm the guy when I'm watching TV, I pull the wiki up or the IMDb yeah. and I'm reading the behind the scenes. My wife, she, I, she probably deals with me on a lot of these things, but I'm like, <laughs> did you know that this actor went through this in order to play uh-huh. this role? And I, I'm enthralled by stuff like that. So it bleeds into my storytelling because that's what I like. And Brad was like, well, then put that on the collector cards or put it on the Instagram. Let the book be the book. And then you give people that thing that you have. He goes, because now they can go to the Instagram if they want to learn more. They can go to the website or they can go here. He's like, that's what you like to do. So just do that instead of putting everything in a book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of your players, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've got at least four like actual play D and D podcasts that I listen to on the regular, and like the dialogue and the banter they have going throughout the comic felt very much like a D and D session. So, like, is, do you do you lift like lines that they actually say verbatim a lot of the time? Yeah, and they like to argue with me sometimes. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did now. No, I got it on tape. <laughs> so, so actually, while I'm going through and I'm scripting out the the pages, I do three to four pages at a time. And I'll put the dialogue that they're saying, that I, the stuff that's interesting, right? Yeah. Not the boring-ass crap that we talk about. But if they say something interesting or if they say something that I feel portrays well in the character, I'm going to write that down. And so as I'm... And it, it's like loose sketching. It's very, very rough. You know, like stick figure stuff sometimes or just, you know, just to get an idea of the panel. And I'll, I'll sketch it in there and I'll write the dialogue in. And then when I'm done with that, I send the you know three to four pages at a time to Brad and Terrell. We have like a, a group chat because early on they hated the fact that I would just do a book and then come to them and say, hey, guess what? Here's the book. <laughs> they were like, hey, you know, this would flow so much better if you would let us see the pages as you were drawing them. Because sometimes, you know, Brad has a different perspective of how that looked or so does Terrell. And both of them have. You know, they're very intelligent people and they have degrees in writing and Brad's a, a police officer. So he knows a lot of like how things would look in real life as far as the combat situations go. And so I'll throw them in our group chat. I'll get a thumbs up or, hey, do this instead. And then I also have a couple artists that are phenomenal. I'll send them my work and say, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll send me back, you know, red marks all over my heart and say, do this. See, those are uh, the people you listen to. Brad and Terrell, tell them to eat shit if they, if they ain't <laughs> comics professionals. They don't get to tell you what to draw. No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> well they, they look at more of the, the flow and the dialogue. And then sometimes they'll say, yeah, we got to change that dialogue. Again, you know, we've been playing for 30 games and I'm blessed at this because we've already retconned some of the problems that were occurring in the first few sessions. You know, by the time the D&D game settled into itself, 
we were, were able to like, okay, here's a plot line that Chris was really adamant about us doing and we shit all over and ignored. So I can leave that out of the book. One thing, like, you, you know, you play D and D as a DM and you're, I, I, when I first started, I would spend 10 hours yeah. building the session and I'd go in and I'm like, here's the setting. Here's this cool character. Here's this, here's that. And they're like, Oh cool. We're going to go over here and yep. we're going to save the cat from a tree. That is, uh, yeah, that, that is the quintessential <laughs> DMing thing. That's why it's, uh, you've got to be able to think on your toes. And, and when you start a game too, I mean, even as a player, like you have an idea of who your character is going into it, but usually it's, you know, four or five sessions before you really solidify who that character is. And it may not turn out being the guy you thought it was at the beginning. And, and your players know their characters better than anyone because they're the ones playing them. And so like, they've got some insight into like, this is what they would do, or this is how they would react to that situation. And my players and my characters, um, how I presented this game to them, because again, they hadn't role played in 10 years. I said, we're not going to try and create characters. This is you with superpowers. So everything, every question that comes up is how would you react with this situation? Makes it very natural. That's probably what plays into a lot of the dialogue too. Everything is so natural when we go into it. And I, I love that we're able to portray it properly. You know, again, the dialogue is theirs and theirs alone. Everything you read comes out of their mouth. Uh, at the very end, when we're when all is said and done and I've got the script done and I've lettered the book, we do a read through. And nine times out of ten, Austin, oh, he'll just be reading and he'll go off script. I'm like, dude, that's not what you... He's like, yeah, but I think this is better. Yeah, this is funnier, so let's do that instead. Right, <laughs> and I'm like, but that just throws off the next four pages. And sometimes he modifies it to fit, you know? And then sometimes what he says is so freaking awesome that we're like, oh, man, all right, change the next four pages, you know? <laughs> and, and that's where that storytelling aspect does come in, too, because at the table, there's a lot of pressure. You know, you don't want to take too much time doing your your role. You don't want, you know, sometimes we, we play Sunday mornings and, you know, some of us have eaten, some of us haven't, <laughs> you know, some of us are on painkillers one day because we're, you know, we're in our late 30s and 40s and maybe one <laughs> of us moved something the night before and we took some painkillers and all of a sudden we're just saying stupid crap. Or or Either doesn't way, or doesn't move something and still has yeah. to take painkillers <laughs> the next day. Put, like, put your socks on. I, I know. Some shit I, I, I reached yeah. to, to turn off a lamp one day and I like pulled a muscle in my chest. I'm like, what is happening here? Right. So we I give them a chance to fix some of the dialogue that happened at the table. And that way it's still their dialogue and it's still something they would say in the situation, but it's a little bit more thought out than maybe when they've got a kid hanging on their shoulder or they're, you know, whatever those situations may be, but they have those conversations with each other. And that's again, what I really want is a story about my friends. I don't want to write just a story about these characters. I want to write a story about my friends. Yeah. That's the thing about D and D that I think really makes it magic for me is that it is collaborative storytelling. Like it's not you as the DM telling a story to the players. It's, you know, you kind of setting things up and them telling the story to you. You know, it's like exactly. everyone's involved in that. And, and, you know, the idea of bringing that magic into a comic book, uh, you, I mean, it almost necessitates involving them. Like if you just took it and did it on your own afterwards, it probably wouldn't be as good as something that you did together with the same group. Guarantee it wouldn't. The, the magic that we have as a, as a group of friends is 
in, in, in any session will probably say this, right? Like you just, how do I put it? You, you cannot understand what it's like to be at a table of friends playing D and D because that's like the moment when nothing else matters. You're out of, you're in your own little world as a group. It, it's an emotional time because you're role playing these characters and I remember the first time I ever role played with this group. I didn't really know them, and it was so nerve wracking because you're like, oh, "Do I really have to?" Yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, <laughs> it's it's at its core, it's really embarrassing, and you've gotten yourself comfortable to do to be someone else in front of your friends, and so like it, it's just uh, there, there's this connection there that no one gets, and so when we're able to portray that, and people like you know, you just said like hey, you could see the personalities come through. That's what I love hearing because what we do at that table once a month is sometimes the first time any of us had a day off from work and we're just looking forward to that, that Mm -hmm. game time. And it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be invigorating. And I am, I'm blessed that they give me the time they do, but you know, that's that moment. And I, I know that other D and D players can, can, you know, understand this. But the first time that your character or your player is in their own skin, right? And you, you know that they're feeling the character. That's like the best feeling. And the reason I, I went off on that is because book five, the book that's on Kickstarter right now, is the first time I came to the table without a plan. And I said, here's a situation. What do you do? Yeah. And it's also the first time that kid whose bones was playing with the group. And all of a sudden they start throwing out crazy ideas. It's not... I'm telling them you're doing this. I'm 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 switching it because the game is about the players. It's not about the DM. Yeah, I had it wrong for so long. I was like, you're playing my game, and I realized, nope, I just got to play theirs and see what happens. And they do some of the dumbest stuff, but it's hilarious. <laughs> the Mo- mutants and masterminds campaign that I ran. The uh, the first thing they did was they, like they were trying to bust up a drug ring, and they ended up, you know, basically destroying this bridge and accidentally killing a bunch of cops and uh like at the end of the first session they had become like the most wanted people in the city and it was like well shit that didn't work out like we planned at that all that wasn't long after i dropped right like it was that that same group i think so yeah yeah because i thought you told me about that and i just i wasn't ready to jump back in you know you never know what they're gonna do and like being able to give your players the room to fuck up and do whatever they want and 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 you know you give them the universe uh i mean it's that's the kind of the thing you can't get out of video games you know like there is any any other medium has too much structure that you have to play within whereas you know tabletop rpgs you whatever you can describe or think of is kind of the limit it's it's really fun i love how you said that your 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 guys were like the villains by accident my characters really don't want to be superheroes I kind of kitty cornered them into this idea of being superheroes. And you see that in the way like book one, they're at that board meeting and they're like, he's like, Hey, you can't, you can't go around blowing people's heads off, you know, because the DM slash the owner of the company wants to market them as heroes. That was my original idea was having this guy market out heroes and sell them off the highest bidder. And it doesn't really work out because they don't want to do that. Well, yeah, <laughs> so let, we walk over here and and bust this up and 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 you know you, that's that's really how the story took form was them just doing whatever they want to do. Where we're at now and why I'm really excited, like I've been waiting to put out this this it's a sixth book, but it's number five because it already's through zero. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for this one because there's a moment in the book where I ask them, I, I give them a situation and it's a tough situation. I I set it up 
rotary cannons and armed guards. And they just pretend to be sick and drunk and high coming from a cosplay contest. And one of them got ran over by a car and they're just acting frantic. And one of them rolls around the ground saying, if the cream is sour, do not devour because he ate bad tacos. Right. (laughs) And I didn't, I just asked them, what are you going to do? And they just all start firing different things. And I had to put that all into the story as like, Oh, I'm doing this. And you just see it all kind of unravel where any other team would have been like, all right, we're going to sneak up. We're going to blow this up. We're going to do this. No, they just drive up to a gate and start acting sick and start pretending to vomit on people so they can beat them up. (laughs) And that sets the tone for the rest of the book. And that's why it's called intestinal fortitude because intestinal fortitude means <laughs> Makes sense, the ability yeah. to shit your pants. <laughs> it's it, really, they made me like sit there and go, Oh God, what do I have to do now? Like the entire session. And it was really good. Uh, <laughs> this is the, the book. Actually, when I was working on book one, we were playing this session. And after that, I said, okay, no, we need to continue this because it was good, but now it's great. And so that's why I'm really excited about this book and really looking forward to closing out this chapter and letting everybody kind of experience that first chapter of crit to show you that, you know, if it was fun now, it gets crazy later. Well, I, th- I think that's a, that's a good transition point. You know, speaking of the first chapter of crit, let's go ahead and uh, for our listeners here who haven't experienced crit yet, um, even though you're, you know, five issues in. Uh, just lay out your world and your story and your characters. Like I know crit's an acronym. So let, let's, let's just tell them all about it. So crit stands for covert reconnaissance infiltration team. That is, uh, they do none of that because they really much reconnaissance. They just go ahead and head first. But I really need to have an acronym for crit because yep. it's an aspirational it's a, title. <laughs> correct. They aspire to be this way. Um, you know, let's fake it till we make it kind of thing. Um, so, so the real story is they go to the whole premise that I pitched was you show up at work today, something happens, and you wind up with superpowers. Your employer knows that you have superpowers, and this is New Orleans. Okay. In New Orleans, in our setting, after Katrina, We don't have Apple. We don't have Google. We have a company called Technetic that comes in and helps clean up the city. They use their resources to really help clean up. And in return, they get, you know, tax breaks. But they're also funneling money, you know, into local government and police forces so they can kind of get away with some stuff that they want to do. You know, shady, big company stuff. I might or might not like Canadian storytelling. But... (laughs) <laughs> that's that's technetic, you know. It's a, it's a shady company that has a nice, smiling, handsome CEO who um, hires the guys from Crit for no no reason. We don't know why these guys were hired. They just were. Day one, an attack happens at the facility, and during the attack, somehow they get superpowers. You can kind of see it in Book Zero how it happens. That doesn't pay off for anybody until much later. Just. You know, that's that's like the little nugget uh, that I left them with. So they're they're trying to figure out really in the back of their head, how did we get these? What happened? In the meantime, we need to make money so these guys can pay us to essentially be their super powered security guards. And they're stopping, you know, theft on their their because like, technetic now they're getting trucks robbed and they've got all these things going on. So crit is sent out to kind of protect stuff and they realize there's a bigger thing. And what is that bigger thing? Well, it's super villains because you can't have superheroes without having super villains. It's yep. kind of a cause and effect. And now that's where we're at in the story. 
is Technetic was like, hey, there's some weird stuff going on in Georgia that kind of looks like, you know, the weird stuff you fought in New Orleans. Is this like a remnant? Is this this competing company, Alchemax? Are they making supervillains now? Like, what's their deal? Well, they go there and they find out, they find Bones and these other guys that are running from Alchemax. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I thought you were with Alchemax. No, we're running from them. Like, we don't want to go back. They find out, okay, Alchemax is like testing on people. And they were known for this before. I actually wrote it in that they were known for human testing. And so Alchemax is trying to create their own version of crit, and it's not going the way they, uh, they anticipated. And, you know, Bones runs away this. And what's cool about Bones' backstory is, you know, in real life, Kid does have brittle bone syndrome. And so we wrote it into the character's backstory when he gets exposed to this magical energy that creates the, the you know, gives him his powers, um, his body overcompensates for his own disease. So he's, he's you know, he's a cleric paladin build for all the, all you D and D players. So he's broken as crap and I have to throw grenades at him to even do damage to the dude. But, um, <laughs> it, he wears his heavy armor. And I asked him when, when, when we were making the character, I said, why would you want to wear heavy armor other than to have a ridiculous AC in game? And he goes, well, you know, you told me to be myself. And he said, even if I woke up tomorrow and my bones were dense, he goes, I've lived 30 years afraid to break a bone. He goes, even if I had superpowers, I would wear armor because what happens if my superpowers go away? I need protection. Yeah. And I mean, that hit me hard when he said that. Yeah. It's like when you think about having the power, like if you wake up and you have the power of flight, yeah. it's like, I don't know if I would like fly into the clouds because for all I know, it could just stop. And then, and then I'm <laughs> fucked. Or like, or at least I'd carry a parachute with me, you know, just in case. Same <laughs> same thing with a jetpack. Like I want nothing more than to fly with a jetpack, but you know, it's mechanical. Things things often screw up <laughs> on, with with mechanics. Like I I, I could be very screwed yeah. in a very tough spot. It goes into reboot as soon as you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Updating software. <laughs> my life let's tell folks a little bit about the the kickstarter it's live now we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check it out i know you're offering issue five you've got back issues it looks like you've got a graphic novel like, like a collected edition on offer and some other goodies so what can people expect out of the kickstarter so you can get all six issues zero through five um on the kickstarter if you're a fan of singles you can do singles if you're a fan of trade paperback i've got that in there as well if you want to mix and match, you can do that. I've got the add-on set up so you can customize any of the tiers, at least the physical ones. Digital, if you just like, you know, if you're like me and you know you don't have enough room and you want to check it out at least, you can pick the digitals up. I've got everything fairly priced. I've been told, you know, my pricing's pretty good. I try not to, you know, destroy people's wallets. So you can pick up Again, single issue. If you want to just pick up the back issues, you can do that. Everything's in there. The the as far as the cool stuff, I do have the playtest of the first five levels of every character in one of the tiers. So if you're a D and D fan, you're like, hey, I want to see what these guys are doing. You can pick up the D and D uh, first five levels of all of our characters, and it comes with a custom D six die with all the characters' faces on it. If you like uh, stuffed animals, we do have a talking stuffed cat. Well, not the it doesn't talk, but we have a talking cat in the book who is an alcoholic and wears a top hat. And I have a stuffed version of him um, on the Kickstarter. He was a hot item on the last Kickstarter, and quite a few people messaged me afterward and said, "Man, I got the cat, and I opened up your box, and then my kid took it." Like, so put that <laughs> up available again. <laughs> so I made some Eddie available. 
And um, we have four covers on this on book five. So we've got a standard cover. We've got an alternate cover, which is our funny cover. It's done by Robert Nix. It's uh, Boulder on the ground holding his belly and tacos everywhere and a burning building behind him. It's hilarious. I saw that. And uh, it makes much more sense now knowing the context of what goes on in the story. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it does have a payoff. Um, Robert does a lot of my funny stuff. He's also doing the four pages for Mr. Wizard and Friends. So it kind of gives you an idea of the art style for that book or for those four pages. I've also got, um, um, you know, two deluxe editions. One is a villain's cover and one's a hero's cover. The villains is amazing. Um, a friend of mine um, did that cover for me and it just came out sick. And then the hero's cover, I pitched to the artist. I said, hey, have you ever heard the song Cool Guys Walk Away from Explosions by Lonely Island? He said, yeah. I said, that's what I want for a cover for my heroes. <laughs> so it's Cool Guys Walking Away from a Building Exploding. And both of those are foil covers. On the Heroes edition, I'm going to add in some of the original artwork for some of the heroes or, you know, hero extras. And on the villains, you get the, the villain extras because you can't have good heroes without having really cool villains. And I wanted to really showcase how cool some of our villains were, even though it's D&D and, you know, these things can die real quick. So be careful. <laughs> so you can pick up all those covers. And then again, we do have the trade paperback uh, covered by Mo, uh, Mo Lewison, who does all of our standard stuff. Love that guy. I yeah, found him just those covers are good. Yeah, that guy's great. Yeah, he, he killed it. And you can get the entire chapter, chapter one. Um, that's zero through five. I'm also throwing in on that trade paperback. You're going to get the unprinted issue zero that I did that my wife said was okay. So the original. Like, <laughs> nice. Oh, shit. You're going to also get the, um, you know, the Robert Nick stuff for the. Um, the, the Mr. Wizard and Friends, that'll be in there. And I'm going to put some extras that have just never been released. Like, I have so much content and, like, character sheets and just stuff that I want to give to people. And I'm going to do that with the Chapter 1 book. So I'm going to stack that thing full of extra goodies at the very end of it just for those people that are like me and go, oh, I want to know more. I will say this. If you're a fan of Starship Troopers, there is a page that is a mix of Starship Troopers meets 1984. And if you pick up on it, let me know because I drew a, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give too much away, but it's uh, Starship Troopers meets 1984. It's going to be in there. I just finished that page yesterday. As far as you know, the main stuff, that's it. If you go to the Kickstarter and you're curious about what everything looks like or feels like, I, I have page samples on there for the first four books. So you can check it out. One thing that's going to be in the trade paperback that's not in book five I have what's called Caliber's Corner. It's like a Sunday's comic kind of thing. I've got three or four of them done now. And uh, I, ha I have one of them on the on the page. It's where he spray paints a penis on um, somebody's car. And it, that's how <laughs> Caliber gets the nickname Picasso. So <laughs> that'll be in there. I've got uh, four, four Sunday comics in the vein of um, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. That's Fun. my dad's favorite comic so I, I have like the calvin and hops kind of style thing where caliber is always partnered up with somebody and he's he's getting into trouble and mostly actually everything that happens in those little sunday comics are things that happen in the game that i have to edit out because it just doesn't fit yeah I'm like, yeah yeah so they're in lore still like like they have yeah, everything <laughs> happens in lore it, it really does happen uh, i just don't want to take you out of the story to say, oh yeah, Caliber went and spray painted a, a penis on a car. <laughs> yeah, that, that might not fit in the in the yeah. middle of an adventure. Yeah, right. Big thing on on here as well. You can, like I said, customize any tier you want. We've got 
t-shirts because you can't have a Kickstarter without having a t-shirt. That's like a, that's like a no, no brainer right there. Um, and we've got tiers everywhere from $8 all the way up to 125. So every price points covered, um, you know, I really tried to bring this home for everybody. And if there's something that you want to see that's not in there, shoot me a message. I've had, I've actually added a couple tiers because people are like, Hey, do you have this? Yeah. I'll put it on there for you. Well, yeah, like I'm when- getting ready to release one thing that I have not announced yet. And I'll announce it here. Woo! Um, Exclusive. If you're watching the video on the top of the Kickstarter, there is music behind the video. Um, a friend of mine wrote all the music and he named it intestinal fortitude. So we're releasing that track on Kickstarter. I'm going to work on it this week. We're going to be able to get the, the track along with our, um, intro, uh, intro video. It, it's a, it's an hour long YouTube video. I'm going to cut up and put into about three or four minutes of just backstory. So you get a digital download on all that stuff. I'm going to be adding that in. I just want to make sure I do it justice because it's a beautiful metal song. I, I'm a big metal fan and it's like a metal opera. I love it. So nice. Check that out. I'll be, I'll be adding a tear for that and giving him a little bit of kickback. Cause he put a lot of work into that song. Um, he orchestrated the entire thing. You got a theme song now. <laughs> we do. I've, I've, well, I've wanted to do that for our comic and I, and unfortunately I, I just don't have the, uh, what am I thinking of? Well, yeah, the bandwidth, I guess, but, but like, holy crap, like you're, you're a content creating monster. (laughs) Holy, holy shit. You, you put out a lot of, a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm impressed and I'm jealous. My brain, uh, I work two full-time jobs as well. And so my brain is just constantly rotating. And, um, like I said, a buddy of mine, I, I play music before this. I have a passion for writing music. I just don't have the time and last last year i almost cut my finger off so it's been healing i just literally got feeling back the past month which is perfect because i found out we're doing like our final reunion show this year and i was like cool i got like four months good i just got a feeling back in this finger that i really need i i messaged a buddy of mine he's if you listen to it he he wrote everything from start to finish and i had just heard something he was writing and i said hey do you want to do something for this? I have an animation studio I've been talking to, and eventually it would be a song that's used like within the animation. Once we get there, that's way down the line. Originally, I wanted to do it this year, but it's, it's not looking like I'm going to even have the, the mental capacity to even entertain that idea this year. But he was like, yeah, yeah, I can work on that. And um, what he wrote was just phenomenal. So check it out. Um, like I said, the, the one set the one minute teaser is part of that video that's on the Kickstarter, but I'm going to release the full three and a half minute song. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and it looks like the, the campaign wraps up April 1st. Yep. And, that's not uh, an April Fool's joke either. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> and you've already, you've already made your goal, but it sounds like you're pushing towards some, some, uh, some cool stretch goals. And yeah, we broke that goal in 26 minutes. Nice. Um, Damn. Did you do Kickstarters for all of the ones before this, or is this or only a few of them? So I've done issue one, issue two, uh, issue three, and issue zero came out the same time. So one thing about me is um, I care more about people reading my book than I care about making money. That's a big thing for me. When we did issue two, I quadruple funded. I made, you know, I only needed 500. I got two grand on that campaign. And I said to all the backers on book two, I said, hey, because you just literally gave me enough to do the next book. Anybody that backed this book, I'll go ahead and give you a free copy. Nice. I don't really need to kickstart it. I've already made enough money. Well, then a good friend of mine said, well, I want to do issue zero over for you again. 
he had, he's a, a guy from Australia, did phenomenal like fan art for me, and he had done a couple covers, and I found out he was drawing on his phone. And I was like, how are you doing all this? On your phone? I mean, phenomenal <laughs> That's work. impressive. Some of it even in this Kickstarter right now. And he's like, well, that's all I have. And I was like, well, I have this brand new Samsung, like $600 tablet that I don't use. Work had given it to me and I don't, I won it in a contest. I just didn't use it. I drew the first issue on it, but then I moved to the iPad and I really liked the iPad. And he said, yeah, all my apps would work on that, but it's going to cost an arm and a leg to send it to me. I'm like, yeah, but you've done all this work. So I contacted a few creators that he had done free work for. And I said, hey, if we each ship in like 30, 40 bucks, we can ship him this $600 tablet. So I send it down to him. And he's like, hey, I want to do a book for you now. I was like, that's cool, but I'm still going to try and pay you. you know, <laughs> yeah, nice. That's just who I am. So I, I was like, well, I can't put issue three on Kickstarter in good faith because I'd already told everybody that I wasn't going to crowdfund issue three. So what I did was I did zero through three. So zero, one, two, and three, I put an Indiegogo. It was a different platform. And I said, I don't, I felt confident, not that I wasn't going to go back on my word because it's a different, different platform for one. I'm offering different things, different audience. Yeah. Right. And I, anyone that did go to Kickstarter though, I told them do not back the tier that has both hero and villain cover for book three, just back it for one and I'll automatically send you the the counter copy i still have people that bought both and i was like hey you know thank you yeah but, exactly yeah um, thank you thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> like that that made that meant a lot you know because people see the starving artist kind of thing and like okay cool but um yeah I, I still did that that right i you know we had two covers because mo again blew me away and did this like four panel piece and i was like i can't do a pull out with my printer so i'm gonna have to do two books for issue three a hero and a villain cover and so um, we went to Indiegogo with that one. We were very successful. And then, you know, four was very successful. Now we're on five. I will say, um, uh, and I say this humbly, issue one failed um, on Kickstarter completely. That was my own fault. And I had asked for $1,500. I had no Instagram account. I had very little artwork out. I didn't even know what I was doing. In fact, I accidentally, there's an ongoing joke with my group of friends that I accidentally launched Kickstarters. Because the first four that I did, I accidentally launched by hitting the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's been kind of like a, a bane. So Whoops. when we asked for 1500 on this one, I actually was super nervous because I, I had never asked for 1500 after that first Kickstarter. Mainly because I really felt that that was my failing point. And we, we did. We did it in, in 26 minutes. I do say this because, you know, um, a lot of creators listen to the, uh, you know what other creators are doing, and hearing that somebody fails on their first time is always nerve wracking, right? I was personally blessed. Um, I have a friend who got into marijuana fields <laughs> very early, and so he's very uh, he's independently wealthy. And when the Kickstarter you know failed, and I had posted you know sorry because you can't collect you know you don't collect even yeah. though I had, I literally had raised enough money on Kickstarter to pay the colorist that I needed. I raised over 500 bucks and uh, we had 35 backers and I was very proud of that. Even though it failed, that's 35 backers with no social yeah. media, no presence, nothing accidental. My buddy was like, Hey, how much do you need? And I didn't even think I was like, Oh, I just need this. And all of a sudden on Facebook, he sends me 500 and something dollars. And so I messaged all the backers on Kickstarter and I said, Hey, I don't want your money. 
just expect a book because somebody else paid for it. And very proud. I went through my Kickstarter the other day and I looked at returning backers from book one, two, and three. And a lot of those book one backers that got a free book just for saying they wanted the book. Just for having the faith. Yeah. Back for every book. And oh, so nice. that, that probably means more to me than anything, knowing that, um, you know, these guys have been with me since my failure and they're still sitting us sitting here when we're putting all the cool stuffed animals and, you know, songs and all these cool little things we have going. Having people that have been there since day one really mean a lot. Well, and building an audience is huge. I mean, that's that's the hardest part of doing this is is getting it in front of the, you know, the people that are going to enjoy it. There's just so much competing for people's attention. And uh, now, I'm a superhero genre. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, people ask me all the time. I, aside from doing my own books, I also letter like seven other titles, and <laughs> I help edit and do a lot of yeah. How, how much? How many hours channel. do you have in your day? Like, like my, my day's only got twenty four. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I work. I work really. My my wife is usually frustrated with me because I always come downstairs and she, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this. How are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah. um, but she's still happy and we're still married and we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I had this idea last year. I watched a video on, uh, you know, from Todd McFarlane and how image had come around and I work in distribution as well. Uh, one of my, one of my two jobs is I, I'm a um, sales director for a distribution company. And so I was able to talk to a lot of comic book stores and I found out why they don't like indie comics is because of our production times and our limited titles. And I said, well, I know a lot of guys and I work on a lot of these books. I'm lettering and I'm editing and I'm helping out. Why don't we just all come under the same banner for retail? Because the last thing you want to do is, is, is mess up these independent titles with their Kickstarters and try to have more hands in a basket with that stuff. Yeah. So go ahead, run your Kickstarters, run your website, but let's all get under this one banner for retail. That way, when I go to pitch it to a retail store, I say we're with a Savage Sandbox. We have 19 titles now that can go to a store and we have a backlog now. And now we look more attractive than just saying like, Hey, I'm crit. I've got a couple issues out and I don't know when the next one's going to be out. Right. And so we were able to secure distribution two different, two different distribution channels there. And I'm working on diamond. I just don't have the, I I don't have the time right now to do diamond. They're asking too many questions. And and I mean, you got, you gotta, gotta watch what's going on with this, with distributors for, for the main two houses, at least. Cause like, Diamond isn't what they used to be. Holy shit. Like they had a stranglehold for so many years and now, you know, Marvel and DC are jumping ship like that. Uh, yep. you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird, different world all of a sudden. Opens it up, And I look at, I look at everything as an opportunity and diamond for all their shortcomings still at least has a name to retailers where some of these other small distribution centers don't. And while we've done very well on a small distribution chain, I mean, we've gotten into, I think, like 35 different stores, uh, six different countries. We've done very well for a small distribution chain with a bunch of publishers that nobody knows. But it's still not like I, I can go to my local comic book store. If I say, hey, we're on Diamond, they're like, OK, cool. I'll open it up and I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, know where they, to go. They've all got accounts with Diamond. Yeah. Which, right. which is a nice place to start. A different channel. Now, all of a sudden, they have to open up a new account. Yeah. And then 
then they're ordering one product from that distributor. And that's where I've had my headache. And I was like, well, Hey, I mean, we could get on diamond. I've talked to them. They're going to pick and choose which titles they want at the end of the day, but we have enough to be attractive to them now. So again, just some of the stuff that I do <laughs> on the side, on the side, side, side. <laughs> well, and, and I think this is probably the best time for indie comics that, that I can think of in the history of comics. Like they are bigger than they ever have been. And I think there's a, the reader base is growing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why Kickstarter is really good. Um, you know, my friends and I, we were, we have a group chat, all of us. And, um, somebody said, Hey, have you noticed an uptick in comics on Kickstarter? I said, yeah, it's, it's a saturated market right now. Yeah. So I think as, as, as much as I miss the days when I could have, 200 backers just because I'm on Kickstarter, right? Like, like you have those books where that in early 2020, you put a book on Kickstarter and you were one of the very few. So you're able to draw more of the audience. Now the, the backers are actually, it's a, it's a buyer's market on Kickstarter now because you've got to make yourself more attractive, more professional looking. You've got to have better pricing. You can't just come out with a $20, 15 page book and expect yeah. to do that. Well, in any category, because even horror books, you're seeing an uptick there. I mean, really, the only ones that are going to always be able to put a 10-page book out with a $20 price tag usually have a certain um, cover style. Just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Tits. <You> know? <laughs> yeah. I actually had someone message me and say, man, you know, if your book had a set of tits on the front, you'd probably be at 500 backers by now. Oh, yeah, it's the absolute truth. You should have called it tit instead of crit. <laughs> there, there was a... Uh... There was a moment when uh, when our our last Kickstarter had kind of stalled out a little bit, and we were just looking at everything that was that was overfunding. We're like, "Holy crap! Like, it's all just boobs on the cover." And it's like, I I can't do that to my character, but there's a part of me that wants to like, you know, just use a pen name and do a boob book just to fund our uh, our regular <laughs> book, you know? Right? Like, I, I have a pretty attractive wife. I'm not afraid to say. It. And I was like, "Hey, can you like?" you know, because she's a photographer, I'm like, just get dressed up as one of my characters, like do a, a gender <laughs> bend for me real quick. Right? Yeah. You know? Just do it, just for the next one, do a tit alternate character with uh, with scantily clad characters, uh, all gender bent, and uh, it, it's almost guaranteed to move. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we've talked about that before in our group, like the things we could do to be more marketable. And there's tons of subsections that just do better, you know, because the, the audience or I, I really want to know how to get, you know, the, the Kickstarter projects we, we love tag. And the guys were like, at the end of the day, we don't do this for money. We don't do this for any other reason than to have fun. So no, we don't want to change the image just to make some money. I'm like, but guys, if we had caliber as a female and he showed a little side boob, I think we, we do really well. And they shot me down on the idea. Oh, come on. <laughs> tell, tell, them to, tell them to go watch Rock and Rule and, and just, just see the power of the side boob. It's the only they, thing that movie's they've got, got. They've got double side boob from straight on. It's wild. <laughs> well, do you know the, the book? Uh, well, it was Cry for Dawn, and then I went to Dawn. Yeah. Remember those books? Jo Joseph um, Michael Lindsner? Yeah, so my dad was friends with Michael Lindsner for a while. And my dad can draw like my, my father's a better artist than anybody I know. Like he's, he used to just draw on a napkin and I'm like, don't throw that away. It'll be worth millions one day. Um, and he was working with Linzer one day. And my dad was like, 
you know, I just hate drawing all this stuff. He goes, I hate drawing women all the time. He's like, I'm good at it, but like, there's so many other things. But all my father ever drew with these ridiculously proportioned women. Like he did a phoenix one day on a piece of uh, on this is on a paper towel. He drew a phoenix as we were bored at a restaurant. And I'm like, Dad, do you ever just draw something that's not boobs? He's like, Yeah, but that's all people care about anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is true. Sadly, so we do we do bring in females later on. Um, someone asked me like, When do you have girl characters? And that's the that's a hard part, you know, with D and D about the the characters have to be my players. I don't have any female players. I asked my wife if she wanted to play, and she said no. So later on, I just based an NPC on her. So, you know, <laughs> take that. There's that. But if I could have had a girl that would want to play D&D with my friends, then we would have a female. Right now, we're stuck with a bunch of nerdy dudes. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and D&D, too, a dude could play a female, but, you know, when you're writing it into a book, like, yeah, it may come across disingenuous. Or... Yeah, the experience won't be authentic. Yeah, I mean, it may just be a bit, I mean, it could be fine, but it could be odd. There's a lot of things that get brought up when you're, especially when you expose yourself online all the time and you're, you're on these different chat boards and people have asked, well, have you thought about doing this? Or you thought about doing that? And I said, well, we don't really think about anything. And that's, that's yeah. what's great about our book. <laughs> and I, I don't want to change that because, you know, coming from music, and I talk about this with people too, um, you, when you write your first album, you're in the basement and you're writing the songs that you like. And then you take those songs and you start playing them out. And people like that stuff that you wrote for yourself. Where bands always fail is when they start writing stuff that they think the fans want to yeah. hear. And it gets watered down and turns into garbage. And that's, I mean, I learned it in my band. My band was like, hey, we want to sound like this band. And I'm like, but I don't want to play that. You know, I want to play what I want to play. And when it comes to the comic, we always we've had these discussions where some, sometime one of the guys like, Oh, we should do this. People will really like this. And I'm like, no, we do what we like. We always do what we like because the book is about us having fun. Not Joe over here reading the book wants to see somebody do this. Like he can go read that somewhere else. He's going to get Boulder being an idiot, you know, caliber being funny, Spectre being, you know, the millennial, um, and I say that nicely. <laughs> you don't have to. It's all right. We're 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 in your same age group. We we understand. Oh God, he's, he's so funny, and he is the youngest member of the group, and he gets so much shit for it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we have a cat because in real life he's allergic to cats, and it was a DM getting pissed off moment. He goes, <laughs> "I want this. I want that." And I'm like, "You get a cat." And if he's out for more than four hours, you take one level of exhaustion for every hour on top of that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So don't abuse him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I I think uh, I think we did it, didn't we? Yeah, I think that. I, unless, <laughs> unless you got anything else you want to cover on the book, Chris? Uh, I can talk. I, I literally have talked for like three hours. <laughs> I limit myself because I realize, wow, I just said a lot. No, this is great. Um, now, why don't you shout out your uh, your contact info or your social medias? Um, we're, like Ben said, we're going to put the uh, the Kickstarter campaign um, in the show notes so people can just click on it super easy. The easiest way is homebrewedcomics.com. It leads to the website, which has all my social media handles. If you are on Instagram, that's probably the one I'm on most, which is at homebrewedcomics.com. And I have a link in there for all the others as well. 
Um, I really don't check Twitter messages that much. I recently got a Twitter. I, I never tweeted prior to uh, promoting this new campaign. Mm-hmm. It was a new avenue. <laughs> and I'm afraid of Facebook groups at the time because if you post art, you get like one guy that says, that's cool. Then you get 30 people that want to ship on it. So I really don't post on Facebook except when I'm promoting a Kickstarter. So Instagram and my website are probably the two easiest ways to find me. Um, and if you have a question about the book or if you want to just shoot the shit about some D&D stuff or some comic book stuff, shoot me a message. I'm always on there when I should probably be working or doing other things as well. What's, what's your Instagram handle? Home at homebrewed comics. Same as my website, homebrewedcomics.com. All right, Chris. Well, cool. This was a lot of fun. It was a good conversation. And, uh, for everyone out listening, go check out his Kickstarter. It's got, uh, as of right now, it's got about a week by April 1st to go check it out. And, uh, good luck. Uh, I, I hope you get your final stretch goal. Oh, me too. I really, the thing is I've already scripted it and I've already sent it to the guy. So we have to really, get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's we, in one way we, we can't, other. we can't call up your buddy again. He already did that, <laughs> did that before. Yeah. I've already called him too many favors in my lifetime. <laughs> you know, my wife says I'm on borrowed time. Anyway, I've actually been pronounced dead three times in my life. And, uh, when we got married was because I was given three days to live and I suffered through that. So yeah, there's, there's a reason I'm here. We just haven't figured it out yet. So hopefully it's common. Well, you're, you're putting the work in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're definitely work, working your ass off to, to find it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, folks, for joining us today. Um, after you've gone ahead and backed this Kickstarter, you can uh, hit us up at uh, email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. If you have anything you want to talk about, uh, you can find us on Facebook. Geek Exploration, the podcast page, Instagram, Geek Exploration Podcast, or Twitter at Geek Explore Pod, or you can call us, and you should, at 916 Ork Turd. That is 916 O R C T U R D. Call with any, uh, any thoughts or questions or uh, statements, dictations, quotations. <laughs> I don't know. And if you enjoy the show, uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We're part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network, and. Uh, that's it. Uh, uh, theme song? Oh, no, yeah, we don't, don't do that on the Creator I don't remember Corner. what it is. It's from Masterpiece Theater. Yeah, because yeah, we, uh, we, we ripped that it's one. In the, that's in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.